0: everybody. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance, and shout out to everybody joining us online and all to to all my soldiers here in person. Um, It is a great day to be seen and to see all of your masked up faces. I don't know who's who, but it's grateful. It's great to be here. Hey, this past couple of weeks has been difficult in the city. Uh, A couple weeks ago, there was that fire in the Bronx that took a number of lives. And uh, just this past weekend, this Friday, the uh, shooting uh, of two police officers in Harlem from the 32nd Precinct. And um, in moments of, of life, when we don't necessarily have all of the words and all of the things that we can say to fix a situation, uh, we do have something that we see repeated in scripture, which is a powerful thing, and it's, it's prayer. So before we get into today's message, I wanted to pray for us and not only just us, but our city. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, you, you know the fear, the anger, the sadness that is going all throughout our city. Father, we pray for the family of uh, Officer Jason Rivera, uh, who's mourning the loss of a 22 year old boy, a man who uh, was so young and so much life ahead of him. And Lord, we, we mourn the loss of life. Father, we pray for Officer Wilbert Mora, who's, uh, I believe, right now, presently in critical condition. And Lord, we pray for all the doctors and the nurses. We pray for his healing and his regaining strength. And Lord, we also pray for the suspect, LaShawn McNeil. Lord, there is image, your image in all of us, even those of us who sometimes do terrible things. So Father, we pray for our city. We pray for peace. We pray for peace to sweep through this place Lord, we we pray for all of the families, both the ones that we just mentioned and countless other families going through countless other incidences of violence or domestic violence, whatever the case is. Lord, we need you. And Lord, we don't just uh, need you to, to do something on your own. We need you to invite us into how we could be problem solvers and how we could be peacemakers for your people, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, so we are in this series called The Well, and we're looking at uh, Scripture. And quite frankly, uh, today we're going to look at a, a parable in Scripture that's going to help us to answer a question that I've had for a very long time in my life. Now, our goal in this series is that we would recover a vision of Scripture, and we would integrate Scripture in our lives in such a way that it would be life-giving, not guilt-inducing. But there's been a question that I've had for a lot of my life as a Christian. It's, it's this. Have you ever wondered how you can read the Bible or read scripture and it doesn't do anything in your life? Last week, our sister, Dr. Amber Field, did a phenomenal job talking through our priorities and what it looks like to prioritize time with God. But what, what happens when you do that and nothing happens? Well, I think there's two answers for that. The first is that real growth often takes time. In our microwave, Amazon Prime, same-day delivery culture, uh, we don't always make space for the pace of life that God requires for real uh, organic growth to take place in our life. And sometimes nothing is wrong at all. We just need to give it a little bit of time and trust that God is doing something beneath the surface in our life. But there's another reason that sometimes we can read scripture and two people can read the same thing. Two people can hear the exact same message, and one person grows, and the other person, it feels like nothing happens. Jesus gives us the answer to that in a parable that is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, I'll be reading from Matthew's account in Matthew 13, uh, and for time purposes, uh, I'm going to cut out a couple of verses, but we'll touch those as well. Matthew 13, verses 3 through 9, and then verses 18 through 23. Jesus is saying that he told them many things in parables, saying... Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his or her heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he or she has no root, and it is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yield some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. Now, this is a profound parable. In some ways, I can basically just ask the question, where are you, and sit down, and save you the next 35 minutes of having to listen to the sermon. But in other ways, I wanted to unpack uh, four concepts for us today. I've heard that 95% of the sermon is forgotten by the time people hit the parking lot, or in our case, uh, by the time people hit 125th Street. Uh, So all you have to remember are four things today. The sower, the seed, the enemy, and the soil. Now, this story is fascinating because if you were to read through the New Testament, as I read through it, there is so much that Jesus contextualized the message of God to his congregation. Now, everything in the Bible is written for you. Everything in Scripture is written for you, for your growth, for your encouragement, for your challenging, but nothing was written to us. Nothing was written to a a group of people in the middle of a panini in 2022. But everything was written for us and for our growth. Now, I say that because sometimes Jesus says things that his hearers would have immediately said, oh, that makes sense. But to us, we have to do a little bit of investigation. Now, Jesus starts off this parable by saying, Consider the sower, or the farmer. Now, we do have people from, at Renaissance who are from all over the place, but to all of my New Yorkers, there's not a lot of farms in the Bronx. There's not a lot of uh, agriculture. Most of us don't, did not grow up on a farm or did not grow up in a setting where sowing or farming was something that was second nature to us. And as a result, when we hear this first sentence, consider the sower, I want us to consider it. What does it mean? Um, what does it mean to be a farmer? And what is Jesus trying to imply to us as he starts this parable? Now, the sower or the farmer is God. And God is the one who is sowing seeds. But there are a number of implications about the sower that I want to bring to our attention. Now, a good farmer is always working. A good sower is always working. Now, even in ancient Jewish days, there were even... um, Uh, Ways that people would be able to work on the Sabbath in very limited cases And there were so many times where there were there was work that had to be done day up day in and day out For anybody who grew up on or near a farm You knew that things had to get done and this was not like working for the IRS This was not like working for a startup company where you can take vacation from time to time You had to do the work or else it would not get done Now, what Jesus is saying about the sower, first and foremost, is that the activity of God in your life is always present. God is always working. Paul says it like this in Philippians 1 and 6. He says, I am sure of this, that the one who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. As we're thinking about our growth and our life in God, don't ever let us fall prey to the idea that we are alone or that somehow God is not constantly working in our life. A good sower, a good farmer, is always working. Number two, and here's a profound truth that was uh, really um, hitting me in the chest this morning. A good sower is patient. What Jesus is saying when he likens God to a farmer or to a sower, he is saying that what a sower does is they sow seed and they don't immediately steep down and start to look to see if it started to grow. They know that there is a delay between sowing and reaping. They sow the seeds and then they walk away and they till the ground and they they watch the process happen, but they are patient in expecting growth from what they have sown. Here's what I want you to know. God is patient with you. God knows you better than you know yourself. God is not expecting you to have some miraculous 180 degree turnaround every single day of your life. God knows that the real deep transformation that he wants to bring in your life takes time. And God is patient with you. I'm reading through the Gospel of Mark now for myself, and I'm just so blown away by Jesus' interaction with his disciples, how much they just get it wrong. The book of Mark ends with the disciples getting it wrong. One of the the worst thing that you can believe about God is that God is not patient with you. Here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.16. He says, but I receive mercy. And Paul had a life where he persecuted and killed Christians. And Paul says this, this is the reason that God gave me mercy. But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, in my story, in my testimony, in showing what I ha- w- the lengths to which God has brought me from, the worst of them, Christ Jesus, might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Not ordinary patience, but extraordinary patience. God is a good sower, and he's patient with you. I think we should be more patient with ourselves and with other people as well. Another aspect of a good farmer is that a a sower is committed. They are committed to their harvest. They are committed to their field. This was a lifelong profession you didn't just put in a two weeks notice because you wanted to do something different. Once you signed up to do this job as a, as a profession, this is something that you and your family would do for generation after generation, and the farmer is committed to his field. And when Jesus says that to consider the sower, what Jesus is saying is that the God who sows seeds in our life is always working, he is patient, and he is committed to you. you know, in reading the gospel of Mark, I get to the account at the end, of the, uh, the end of the book. And some stuff in the Bible, I know it's true because if it was not true, then there's no author that would have put these things in there because it's kind of confusing. And it uh, at first glance, doesn't even convey the message that you think they are intending to convey. And the, what I'm talking about now is at the end of Mark, you see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane wrestling, like really wrestling in prayer with God saying, God, I don't want to do this. I do not want to do this. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I want us to think about the wrestling and the commitment that Jesus has to us, that he would go against his desires for himself, for his own, um, his own person, his own humanity. And he would lay all of that down because he was so committed to us. He was willing to, to persevere and to go to the cross. So a good farmer, a good sower is always working. He is patient, and he has an unwavering commitment. So that's the sower. The second part is the seed, and the seed is God's word. When Jesus talks about the parable. He talks about how God's word is being sown into our lives. And in your life, um, we have a faithful, patient sower, and we have a really powerful thing in this seed. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.23. He says, For you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. From the very first pages of scripture, we see that when God is introduced, he is introduced as one who speaks to us. And in God's speaking, God takes formless things and he forms them by his word. Now, what is true of the ocean and the mountains and of beautiful countries and skyscapes um, and um, all the things that have been created in this world is also true of your soul. God forms you by his words. God creates things in your life through his words. That it's not dependent on you by yourself, but that God, through his word, creates all the things that we need for life and godliness in him. God's words make us who you are and how you are. So the seed is an incredibly powerful thing. So then that leads us to the next question. If we have this faithful and patient and committed sower and we have this really powerful seed, then why aren't we growing? Well, Jesus gives us two reasons for that. The first is an enemy. Now, one of the things that's really funny uh, that I love doing in membership classes uh, is asking people like, hey, what's your church background experience? And we had people from all over the map. Some people didn't grow up at church at all. We had some people from uh, England, from the Anglican church. We had Pentecostals and Presbyterians all in one, uh, one membership class. And one of the things that you'll notice if you spent time around either group is that Pentecostals and Presbyterians have a different view of the Bible and of the, of the devil, specifically. <laughs> when I was in college, um, <laughs> I was going to a Pentecostal church, and the devil was everywhere. You couldn't turn around. You couldn't have heartburn without them, oh, the devil is a liar. Like, I mean, I had cheeseburgers. I had like five cheeseburgers last night. I think, it's, I think it's that. And one group tends to be on the side of things that everything there's a devil, and they kind of over-spiritualize everything. That they, don't, they won't even let you watch Encanto without saying there's demons there. I'm like, come on, y'all. Encanto had me crying. That, joint is, that was a good message. Send the emails about that to Lester. Um, <laughs> and the other side tends to be really, like, really intellectual and almost dismiss the reality and the pervasiveness of the devil. But one of the challenges is if you see and read in Scripture, you see how much Jesus talks about a real enemy. Here's what he says in this parable. He says, so listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. Uh, We would do very well to, like Jesus, approach our world and to be guarded and to be wise about how we operate. Now, one of the best ways that I know how to explain this is, well, how does it work if, if Jesus truly is victorious, if God truly is all powerful, and that He that nothing could stand against Him, then why would it be that we would have to navigate and deal with the devil or the evil one? It's because we live in the already, but the not yet. There's a story about a man named Howard Miller. And Howard Miller was a soldier in the United States Army during World War II. Uh, in 1945, after years of intense battles, the enemy was defeated and the world began to celebrate. But shockingly, in 1945, this was before uh, cell phones and Twitter, and uh, Howard Miller was at the Rhine River in Europe during World War II, and he was the captain of the 2nd Armored Tank Division. Now, even though officially World War II had come to an end, the German, and the German army had officially surrendered... The news of the surrender was traveling slowly, and the terror that had plagued much of the world was over, mostly. One day after the surrender, Howard Miller got up, but the news hadn't gotten to his region yet, and he went outside, and he was killed by an enemy sniper. The enemy was defeated, but he was still active. When it comes to understanding spiritual opposition, our enemy is defeated, but he is still active. And we should never approach our life in things like the disciplines, uh, the means of grace that God invites us to without being vigilant. And knowing that you being distracted is not just because you need to pay better attention. We need to invite the Holy Spirit into all the things that we're doing, asking him to help us in our life. So we have this amazing farmer who is committed and patient with us. We have this powerful seed. We have this enemy that wants to distract us and meddle and take away what God is doing. And here's where the crux of the passage gets to, it's the soil. Jesus wanted to reveal something about our human heart in our our response to the word of God. In other words, Jesus gives us four different examples of how your heart will respond to the word of God, the words of God spoken to us. Now, up front, I don't think it's possible to read this scripture well without asking yourself honestly and fully, Lord, where am I? I want us to take this as an invitation to say, Lord, please show me where I am, because where I am is not where you want me to, is where you want to leave me. Grace, as profound as it is, meets you where you are, but it doesn't leave you where you are. So wherever you find yourself in this today, hear this as an invitation from Jesus himself to move forward in in your life. So Jesus starts out this parable. He says, listen to this parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. Now, in a very uncultivated and dry Israel, uh, there were paths that were beaten down and they were hard, hardened by the sun and the wind and the feet of people and animals so that whenever there was seed falling on top of it, it would never make its way down far enough to be able to do anything. Now, I don't have a green thumb by any stretch of the imagination, but I know enough to know that in order for seed to produce anything, it needs to first be buried so that the process can take place beneath the surface. Jesus says the first path is a hardened path. And if your heart is hard, it doesn't matter how patient the sower is. It doesn't matter how powerful the seed is. The enemy can just come and snatch it away. Now, there's a couple of things that can harden us and both of them require a great deal of courage. Courage to be honest. Courage to go inward a little bit. Courage to confess. Courage to look at yourself in the mirror. Courage to invite God into our lives in ways that we never thought we would even give him access. I think in my own life, I think the two ways that I have experienced hardening is by what other people have done to me and by the things that I myself was doing. Now there was a time, uh, a number of years ago, when I was when I first got ordained, actually, and there was so much drama and craziness going on at the church that I was going to. There was so much corruption, and man, it was just so bad. And the pastor really did a lot of hurtful things to me and to other people. And as a result of it, I probably endured the most dry time of my life. I was hardened. I was going to Bedside Baptist before there was online options. Um, uh, I stopped going around Christians. I was one of those people that said, oh, well, I love Jesus, I just, don't, I just don't really bang with the church. And many of you have been there. Some of you are there right now. In the next number of months and years, I was around scripture a lot. But my heart was just hardened. I was so hurt. And here's the thing about that process that hardened me. I was hurt by what, had, by what happened but I wasn't willing to actually examine my life of what about that thing made me so uncomfortable. I wasn't willing to go inward. There are some things that have been done to you, and the main reason we talk about emotional health a lot here at Renaissance uh, is because your spiritual growth is oftentimes tied to your emotional health, your willingness to confront things, not the things that you have done, but the things that have been done to you. Because left alone, the trampling of other people on your heart will harden you. And by God's grace, we can recover the softness, but not until we're willing to face what's happened. Another piece that hardens us and has certainly hardened me in my life has been something that we see in Hebrews 3 and um, 13. It says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that every single time we give in to temptation, Eventually, our hearts are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, to be deceived is to accept something that is false as true. Now, here's what's happened in my life, and you might be different and a better person than I am, but at first, when I did something that I know I had no business doing, it felt bad. And then I got tired of feeling bad about something, so then I started to change my beliefs to match my behavior. And here's what the scripture in Hebrews is telling us. Eventually, you will change your beliefs, not because you heard some argument, not because something else, you watch some video on YouTube, but because our, beliefs will af- our behavior will affect our beliefs. And one of the ways that we become hardened over time and resistant to God's truth, listen to this, we become resistant to God's truth so that it can't penetrate our hearts, is when we, we have these patterns of unrepentant sinful behavior in our life. And here's what I'm saying, it takes the courage. I know you're not here today just for the sake of being here. I know you're not watching online just for the heck of it. It takes enormous amounts of courage to confess and to be honest about where you are. One of the greatest things that you can do if you start to sense the invitation of the Holy Spirit to confess something is to do that thing. Don't theorize, what about this, what about that, no. One step of obedience is better than a 1,000 Bible studies. If you have something in your life that you would love for a pastor or a church leader to walk with you through, here's the invitation. Reply to any Friday email, and one of our pastors will, come, uh, will, will reach back to you. Info at Renaissance NYC, Grace at Renaissance NYC, Jordan at Renaissance NYC. Email us, reach out. Nothing would give us more pleasure than to walk with you, to give you an opportunity to put your courage in action. Don't leave this place today. Uh, exactly where you are. Don't leave resolved just to just have it you and God. No, uh, we'll, we'll see later on. God is inviting us to not just have it between us and him, but between us and other people. That's where real, true freedom happens. So the first uh, ground that Jesus says won't produce any fruit at all is this hardened path. The second soil is shallow ground. It says, in the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word And immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. I kind of felt like Jesus was taking a shot at me on this one. I'm not gonna front. I'm like, all right, Jesus, this one, you came from my neck on this one a little bit. Says, when you first hear the word, you hype. Yo, Pastor, you were preaching today. This was amazing. Yo, I, I sat down, I read this. This was this was right on time. God met me exactly where I was. Jesus says, but because you have no root, when distress or persecution comes because of this word, we fall away. Now, this is a very humbling thing. Jesus is saying that the litmus test for our receptivity to the word is not spontaneous or momentary joy. The litmus test is later outside of the room when hardships and difficulties and persecutions drive us beyond our strength. Then what are we going to do with that word? Are we going to hold on to it? But Whenever I get excited about something, I I ask myself this question, Lord, do I have deep enough roots for this word to take root in my heart? So the second soil is one that has shallow roots. The third soil is one that says, now the one sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but Jesus says this, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth, it chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, this is a fascinating aspect because this soil right here is really good. There's deep enough roots. It it would allow a plant to go and to grow. It's so good because there's other stuff growing around it. My brother growing up, my parents didn't like his friends. Sorry, I apologize to all his friends watching right now. They used to call his friends weeds because they were like, and what a weed would do is it would choke the life out of a good plant. Just by being in proximity to it, it takes away the life source from the plant that you want to grow and diverts that vitality into things that you don't want growing. And Jesus says there are two things in here. One are the worries of this age. And what Jesus is saying is this. The things that you are constantly worrying about, the things that are dominating your attention, they are taking God's word and they're choking it that there is this vitality. There is this life source that is running through and it is diverting. Instead of all of that going towards your growth and deepening your walk and your trust and your commitment to God, it's spreading it out. It's spreading it out between God and what God has called you to do, what God hopes for you in your life, what God envisions that your life is becoming. And God, I don't know what this month is going to look like financially. I don't know what my relationship status is going to look like. I don't know about this decision, this job, this whatever it is. Now, in all of the things that, you know, I, I've talked about worry at, at, at length, and I, I have a very vivid imagination when it comes to worry, and this is probably one that I am most confronted with today as I read this scripture, is I don't want God's word in my life to be choked out because I'm worrying about a bunch of things. Jesus says in Matthew 6, which one of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Like who here has done it? Who here has said, you know what? Man, I had so many things that were going wrong, and you know what fixed it? Worrying. <laughs> it's never happened. Jesus says that worrying is completely unhelpful. And here's what I do practically every time I find myself worrying, and I find myself just writing the script of things that might happen. I tell myself, Jordan, you are chasing after the wind. As it says in Ecclesiastes 4, I am chasing after the wind. I will never catch the wind. It moves in so many different directions. The same thing is true of your worry. You worrying is you chasing after the wind. And I repeat that scripture to myself to stop me from worrying. Now, whether it is a hardened path or whether it is shallow roots or if it is uh, weeds uh, that choke the word, competing interests, things that are choking at the fruitfulness of what God wants to do and hopes to see to become Uh, Jesus talks about then the the fourth soil. The fourth soil is the one on good ground, and we see it in verse 23, but the one sown on good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who produces fruit and yields some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. So the million-dollar question is, then where, where are we and how do we get to become good soil? Now, soil in and of itself cannot Um, fix itself we need an intervention from the outside to do something in our hearts and as I was thinking and praying through this word today and what it is that God is calling us to do with this word I, I think depending on where you are I hope one of these things applies to you the first I want us to be doing is to inspect and to ask ourselves where are we where am I where are you In Genesis, after Adam and Eve had had sinned, God comes after them and says, Adam, where are you? It wasn't because God didn't know where Adam was. God is everywhere. God knew fully where Adam was. He wanted Adam to be thinking about where he was. I hope that question also pierces your heart today. Where are you? The first invitation for us to do today is to inspect our lives and say, Lord, where am I? Am I hardened by either what's been done to me and I'm unwilling to face that Or am I hardened by the things that I myself am am doing? The second thing we need to do, uh, actually, back to inspect, David prays his prayer in Psalm. He says, search me, Lord, search me, show me any wicked way in me and lead me in the path uh, of everlasting life. So number one, we need to inspect. And again, I don't want you doing that by yourself because the second thing I think we really need to be doing is to connect and make sure we are connected to other people. Uh, One of the things that my wife and I love to do, especially in pre-Panorama days, is uh, go to national parks and travel. And uh, we've gone to a number of national parks already. And one of my favorites actually was Sequoia National Park. It's like you're walking among the giants. And one of the most profound things about the Sequoias is that they are like almost indestructible that there could be forest fires, there could be anything happening, and they will live for hundreds and hundreds of years and grow to these great lengths. And the key to the sequoia strength is not in the depth of their root, it's in the connectedness of their roots. The key to these giants is not in their roots going down 100 feet, it's in their roots being deeply interwoven and connected to other sequoias. In other words, There is no such thing as a giant sequoia by itself. There is a giant sequoia forest where these sequoias rely on each other. Their roots interlock and interlace and they keep each other strong when one may or may not have the strength in and of itself. If we are to have deep roots, roots that can endure, roots that can withstand obstacles, hardship coming our way, we gotta be connected in real ways. Now, I know there are some people who come to Renaissance and this is your first time at church in a long time and you're, you're, it's not easy for you to open up to other people and you've been hurt before in church and I don't want to minimize that, but here's what I want you to do. In a week or so, we're going to have our registration for our DNA groups opening back up and when those registrations open back up, I want everybody to sign up to make sure you are deeply connected There need to be people who know exactly where you are and what you are processing in your own life never needs to be processed by yourself, but processed with other people who know exactly where you are and can encourage you, can correct you, can uh, pray for you. What does James say? um, Confess your sins once to another because the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. So that's the second, that's the third thing. Number one, inspect, where am I? Number two, connect. Number three, confess. Confess your sins one to another, confess your sins one to another, confess your sins one to another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. After you have been connected, make sure that you, I actually want to pray for you today at the end of today, that we would be bold and courageous enough to lay our lives bare before brothers and sisters who would receive us and welcome us and help us uh, in our life to undo the hardness and to unweed some stuff in our life. And the last part is an invitation to God. And we're going to pray right now to that effect. To invite God, our great farmer, the gardener of our souls, to not just sow seed, but to rip up some weeds in our life. To break up some fallow ground that we don't have access to. To do what we wish we could do, but we can't do on our own. So let's pray to that end right now. Uh, God, our Father, Lord, we want to grow. We want to be like you. But Lord, there are so many different obstacles in our way. So many different things that are fearful and challenging, uh, whether we find ourselves on hardened ground with shallow roots or surrounded by weeds. Father, I pray for courage to confront things in my life that I haven't been able to confront to this point. And Father, I invite you to create a clean heart in us. Renew a right spirit in us. Lord, we can't do it on our own. Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, break up the hardened ground. Deepen our lives. Give us courage to confess and heal us from all that plagues us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.